So if you would, if you do have your Bible, this would be a good night. Sorry I didn't tell you all, but you can put the Psalter down, but we are. If you have it, and you can turn to Psalm 96, so much the better. Well, there you go, Aaron. Can you share yours with everybody else? <laughs> Just pass it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that. Josh is not going to let you be on, outdone by you, Aaron. 90, Psalm 96, he's got his too. So we're just going to go through this verse by verse. We could sort of follow along in our psalter. You could keep your psalter open if you want. All right. Everyone's prepared? Yes. Can't see the mouth expression, only see the eye. Guy's an expert with the eyebrows now. All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, let's get started. So this is the third lesson in our journey on this series. So let me start with a few comments of where we started and where we've been and where we're going. If you remember, we started with in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the world and it was well done. It was beautiful, but it was not in a finished state. The garden is not a finished state. So, in this garden, you remember, God places man, namely Adam and Eve. And we learn what's beneath their feet in the garden. God tells us beneath their feet were precious stones and, and things of beauty, right? There, were, there was gold, silver, onyx, diamonds, and all other such stones. Then we fast forward to the last few chapters of the book of Revelation. What do we find? It's not a garden. It's not a garden, it's a city. The city or the garden has been transformed into a beautiful city. And think about what we find in that city. Streets paved of gold and silver and pearls and diamonds. All these things of the world have been harvested by man and transformed this city into a beautiful place. This city is full of wonderful treasures that we cannot number. If you remember the passage in the book of Revelation at the end, we are told that we are coming back to this earth. So in the short term, we will die. We will be transported to heaven and we will live with our Lord. Then one day we will be given new bodies and we will return to this earth and we will live forever in this recreated earth. Remember, Jesus died for this world. He died for the people, but he died for all the rest of creation as well. So I want you to consider the events of what I'm going to call Middle Earth. Not those of heaven or of hell, but the events between the time when Adam and Eve lived in the garden until we returned to the glorious city. So remember what happened. Eve was deceived and Adam disobeyed. And their descendants were banned from the garden in God's presence. Sin, untruthfulness, unrighteous acts abounds on this earth. So truth was replaced with falsehood. Righteousness was replaced with wickedness. And the beautiful work of God's creation has been exchanged for ugliness. Yet there was hope. We look to the cross. But I want you to think about the cross in a slightly different way tonight, with a slightly different emphasis. Jesus is called the second Adam. 
From the wound on his side, like the original Adam, comes forth his bride, the church. His his resurrection occurs in a garden. And there, and then we're reminded to the cross that he died upon, Peter refers to it as a tree. And indeed, this tree is the new tree of life. With all these allusions to the original act of creation, we should expect to find a new creation. It's underway. Or if you like, a work of recreation is underway. How do we know? Paul tells us, we are new creations in Christ. We have been given rebirth that we may take up our original cultural mandate of multiplying, ruling, and subduing the earth. And as we take up this act, we are driving towards the glorious city. So we dig in, we go to work, we dig in the earth, we harvest the trees, we make houses, we harvest the trees, and we make heirlooms such as dining room tables for the family. We write books. We compose new songs that speak of God's glory. We do all this with the glorious city in mind. Imagine that in this glorious city, you will find works, your works, things that you created, things that you inspired somebody else to create. So, in the perfect tense, in the perfect tense, we are now living in the new heaven and the new earth. The The second Adam has come. The second creation is underway. This work of recreation is underway, and this is what God has called us to do. Therefore, let's do it well. Let's speak truthfully. Let's act righteously. And may all of our works be beautiful in time. So to recreate the world in truth, righteousness, and beauty, we need to meet them. We need to see them firsthand. We need to have a vision of what, what they are. And where do we come to find that vision? That's where this lesson picks up. So, the premise of tonight's lesson is simply this. That we can only find truth, righteousness, and beauty in God's presence. Nowhere else. So, to buffet this main point... I want to explore the following subpoints. First, beauty is objective. Beauty is objective. It's not something found in the eye of the beholder, which we hear this cliche bouncing around. Second, real beauty or true beauty, also called glory, emanates from God and God alone. And it's captivating. Finally, third point, that which is beautiful is necessarily or always truthful and righteous. The three, truth, righteousness, and beauty are intricately interwined and they cannot be separated. So with, this ap- with regard to application as stewards, we're called to be stewards in this world. We are called to recreate it in a glorious and beautiful way. And our inspiration is found as we come into God's presence, as we worship him. So our main text tonight is Psalm 96. So if you would, let me read it the whole way through, and then I'll come back and we'll take it verse by verse. So, Psalm 96. 
Ready? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of all peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let all the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that it is in it. And all the trees of the wood, woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with truth. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 All right. So let's try to navigate this wonderful psalm. And again, I would ask you to think in these terms of truth. Let me try to give a definition. Something that is fixed and cannot be changed. Example, God's law. Then think in terms of, uh, look for signs or pictures of righteousness. This is truth put into action, right? This is truth put into action, such as God's creative act, such as him judging this world. Then finally, think in terms of beauty, or as the synonym I said, glory. So, with truth, with righteousness and beauty, let's have another look at this psalm. And I'm going to start with verses 1 through 3. So let's take up verses 1 through 3. Here they are. Oh, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among the people. Consider how we deal with truth. It is something which captures our mind. We find ourselves meditating on it. When you find this new truth that you never knew about for the first time, you think deeply about it. Can this be true? Then finally, it erupts, and you've got to go tell somebody. Did you know? And then you tell them, right? Did you know Bitcoin is going to go through the roof? Right? If you think that's the truth that's out there, you can't wait to tell somebody. So, as we grab a hold of truth, or truth grabs a hold of us, we must write it down. We must speak it. We are, our mind's captivated with it. So in verses 1, or two, one and 2 of this psalm, the psalmist calls us to proclaim, to declare that which is truthful. Can't keep it in. 
we got to go tell somebody about it. What is that? We're speaking of his righteousness, his righteous acts. That's the truth. So what is, think about the greatest righteous act that there is, God's salvation. So we're told to go proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Consider how the psalmist calls us to truthfully speak of his righteous acts by singing a song. By singing a song, right? Sing a new song. To sing a song means what? We've taken time. We've written out the words. They're appropriate. There's a balance to them. There's a harmony. There's something poetic about them. Next, we put them to music. The music that fits the theme. We have music. We have In the music, we have a melody. We have a tune. And this melody and tune gloriously frame this truth. And it's appropriate. It's a, a frame that, uh, it's like framing a wonderful painting. Is there anything more memorable or more beautiful than to sing something? Maybe you're questioning me. Think about wives. Your husband comes home. He says, dear, I love you. It's wonderful indeed, right? Think about he goes away and he writes a song. He composes a tune for it and he comes and plays it on his guitar and he sings it to you. It's added a little bit more in the beauty, hasn't it? By the way, no guilt upon these men, right? Or myself, right? But to sing something adds another level of beauty. We just don't tell our children or our friends, happy birthday. What do we do? We sing it, right? And we make it more meaningful. This is adding beautiful beauty to it. Think about the songs that you know that have left an indelible impression upon your mind and your soul. I'll pick one, right? Amazing Grace. You can read the words, and they're lovely indeed. But there's something more precious, more indelible about singing it. And so now we're told to sing a new song of God's truth, of his righteousness. This is where beauty and truth and righteousness are united. And think about the marks they leave upon us positively. Let's move on to verses 4 through 6. Remember, we're thinking in terms of that which is truthful, that which is righteous, and that which is beautiful. 4 through 6. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of all the people are idols. The Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So consider these statements of truth. One, the Lord is great. Two, all gods are idols. Three, the Lord made the heavens. Because of these truths, consider the righteous acts which are to be our response. So as we hear these great truths, right, our righteous uh, responses are, one, he is to be feared. We are to fear him. Two, we give him honor and strength as we come before him. So this meeting of truth and righteous acts are beautiful, and he tells us they're majestic. 
At least that's how the psalmist describes it. Take careful note where this truth, righteousness, and beauty are found in his sanctuary. So think about what think about the lengths of what people go to to find truth. They send their children off to the university and pay thousands of dollars thinking they'll find truth. People seek an audience with the Pope or the Dalai Lama, thinking they'll find someone who's truly righteous. Think about how people spend money and time seeking beauty. Think about how many young men have sold their prized guitar so they could pr pursue a young lady and buy a diamond ring. Think about the, the extent people go to to find the latest fashion to make them beautiful or travel to the remotest corners of the world visiting art galleries or national parks, all in the pursuit of beauty. But yet every Lord's Day, we have all three before us. His word is preached. There we find truth. We're reminded of his righteous acts. And their beauty shines forth as we sing in harmony. Think about Psalm 133, if you're familiar with that. Here we are, individuals that are saved and fitted together into one body. And we're learning to live together. And the psalmist says how beautiful it is for brethren when they dwell together in unity. So we have us together eating and drinking and singing. And the individual is one. The individuals are in one body. So we have both together, don't we? But we're not exact copies of one another. Beauty upon beauty. Now on to verses 7 through 9. Give to the Lord, O families of people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Now the psalmist seems to go into overdrive and develops the theme of beauty. Instead of worshiping as individuals, we're called to worship as families. And maybe this is a, a truth that parents can see, but when you see your children and you see your grandchildren worshiping around you, this is beautiful indeed, right? Imagine other passages of Scripture where we learn how beautiful it is that God saves not only us, but he's seeking to save generation after generation after generation, even entire lineages. Another righteous and yet beautiful act. Whatever attributes you think or we think we might possess, such as strength or beauty, the psalmist calls us, think again. As the scriptures are open, we look at him and we tremble. This is a righteous act for us to tremble. He is so glorious that we cannot look upon him, right, without shuddering. His glory is more blinding than the sun. In fact, I would tell you we were given the sun as a reflection of his glory. He is without stain. He is without spot. He is thrice, thrice holy. And therefore, what do we do? We bow down before him. And, and his mag, he is magnitudes greater than we can ever imagine. Try to gaze upon this one, this great one, and bring him an offering that is fitting. As we mentioned, don't bring the torn animals. 
Don't bring the coarse grain. Bring that which is beautiful. Just like the temple worship. Our prayers are to be wonderfully spoken, as wonderful as we can, so they're beautiful scents that rise in his nostrils. Right? When we're in the sanctuary, we are not called to be amazed or, or to glory in a man. No matter how wonderful a musician he is, or no matter how pretty she is, or no matter how well he can preach. Instead, we put away all these distractions, and we drink deeply of God's glory. And like Moses, remember when he spent time on the mountain, he comes out of God's presence on the mountain, and he is changed. His face is shining gloriously. And remember what the people were doing when Moses comes down with this glory residue still on his face? They're gazing upon him. And then he does this thing, which should cause us some humor, right? He puts on a woman's veil, right? But his face, he was gloriously changed. We too will be gloriously changed as we come into the presence of God. We'll be like a full moon to the dark world. We will shine brightly as we reflect him, the origin of all beauty and all glory. Let's move on to verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the people, peoples righteously. In this verse, we have truth, righteousness, and beauty intertwined again. They're in combination. We say God reigns. We speak truth. His reign is done righteously, even as he judges the people of the earth. Remember, remember, we are a forgetful people. We look at the world all around us. What do we see? We see wickedness. We see ugliness. And we are prone to speak falsehoods. We may think that the world is Satan's. We may think that the deceivers and the proud will inherit this world. Right? Falsehoods. That is absolute falsehoods. But we may think it because we're a forgetful people. Yet from God's word we hear the truth. God reigns. And we remember his other truths. He will strike down the proud. He does raise up the humble and the meek. Those who are teachable, those who are serving God, right? They will inherit the earth. God righteously reveals his truth, and it's beautiful to see this once ugly, sin-plagued world confess our Lord. How beautiful are even the feet. How beautiful are even the feet. Pedicure or not, I don't know. But how beautiful are the feet that bring the gospel, right? Now on to verse, the last verses, 11 through 13. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Let the trees of the world re, uh, will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and all peoples with his truth. The Lord is indeed judging the earth. Remember where he sits now? Remember the truth of where Jesus sits? He sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he is ruling. 
He's just not occupying space. He's ruling from heaven. He's ruling the earth. That, let that truth be firmly established. The psalmist is calling us to join this grand celebration. The heavens are rejoicing. The earth is glad. The seas are celebrating, even as they roar with excitement. The fields and those in it are rejoicing. The trees are rejoicing. Another psalmist says they're clapping their hands. From the fall until Christ's crucifixion, Satan and his minions did indeed rule this world. But the strong man has been bound. He's been tied up, right? And now we are to tell the world, we are to go disciple the nations. So since the cross, on the cross, Jesus put to shame all powers and principalities. I say it's like this. It's like a Rocky movie. Sorry, it may fall flat on some younger generations, but after the opponent has thrown everything at him, everything possible, guess what Rocky does? He gets off the mat. Jesus, they did everything they knew, every harm they could bring to him. Three days in the grave, he raises from the dead. They spent their wad. They threw everything at him, and yet he came to life. And he now reigns, and all of creation rejoices with him. So if all creation who once suffered and was groaned and subject to, to death and futility rejoices, how much more should we rejoice? How much more should we lift our voices and rejoice? As all creation joins in this uh, singing, this indeed will be beautiful. So remember at the beginning I pointed out that which I sought to establish. First, put aside all falsehood. Beauty, where people say that beauty is subjective and it's only in the eye of the beholder. Confess beauty or glory is a description of God and that this beauty is found in his presence. Second, remember that beauty is captivating. It's overwhelming. It should make you tremble. It should make you freeze. Stop and take your breath away and take time and soak it in. Remember the third point, truth and righteousness and beauty are intertwined. They're connected and they can't be separated. That which is truly beautiful is also conveying truth and is a righteous act. Now, with regard to a few applications, we are called, young men, young ladies, mature men, older men, we are called to this grand building project to rebuild or recreate this world in a manner that would be truthful, that would be righteous, and would be beautiful. As stated before, this world is full of falsehoods. It is full of wickedness and it is full of ugliness. We can all agree upon this. Instead of wringing your hands, playing the victim, you are called to rebuild, to recreate. Yet without a faithful blueprint, each man is left to do what is right in his own eyes. You remember where I'm taking you, the book of Judges, one of the ugliest books in Scripture. It's beautiful in that it portrays, portrays truth, but it's ugly to see where men go with it. So wickedness abounds, and it was truly ugly. Now as we go into worship, understand your place. 
tremble and be humbled. Put aside your agendas. Put aside seeking your own will and seek his will. Get a full dose of the truth. Know that it, this takes a lifetime. But start now. With regard to righteousness, understand that you've been purchased. You're no longer yours. Serve the king. Serve your neighbors. Learn to serve your enemies. Seek first his kingdom. Now with regard to beauty. Instead of grumbling and complaining, and mom and dad will tell you this is ugly, to grumble and complain is absolutely ugly, right? And when mom and dad say that, they have to remind themselves, right, that it's ugly. So instead of grumbling and complaining and taking up your work, do it with rejoicing and singing, for this is beautiful. Here I'm speaking metaphorically and practically. I mean it. Spend your day singing. Sing around your table. Sing at family meals. Sing before you go to bed. Sing at family celebrations. Sing, sing, sing. All right? And if it's not as beautiful as you want, keep practicing. Keep practicing. Cook and clean and construct your daily chores as unto the Lord. This, the work that you do is for your neighbor, and your neighbor might be related to you, right? If it is for your, if you do your work for an enemy or a stranger, do it as unto the Lord. Many people with a utilitarian, boy, I'm struggling to say that, with a very practical mind, <laughs> with a very practical mind, right? really grab a hold of truth and righteousness and they want to be efficient and they want to go about this. But these same folks avoid beauty. They would say they're too much of an engineer and here I might be speaking of myself and they don't have an artistic bone in their body. They plead that they're solely left brain. This is an excuse for laziness. Put it aside. Are you ready to embrace truth and righteousness? With equal effort, embrace beauty, that it may be seen in all your work. We all have been created and now recreated in God's image. God is an artist. God is an artist. If you doubt me, look at the color pattern on a rainbow trout, be struck again by some wonderful sunset, or Hold a beautiful young baby, new baby in your arms, right? Like Nora's looking forward to do sometime soon, right? We are all gifted in certain ways, but we are all called to walk after God. God is hospitable. God is hospitable. He's met all of our needs that we had. He invites us every week into his house. There are those with the gift of hospitality. And they offer hospitality and they make it look so easy. But guess what we're all called to be? Whether we have the gift or not, we're all called to be hospitable. We're also all called to live in a manner that is glorious and portraying beauty. Therefore, seek righteousness, seek truth, and seek to be an artist. After looking at the face of God, in worship, write a new song fitting for his glory. Bake a wonderful tort 
that highlights the flavors and colors of which God created. Maybe you're a gardener. Plant a cacophony of flowers and shrubs that speak of his glory. Arrange a garden with symmetry and rich texture, highlighting and contrasting trees and flowers and shrubs. Spend time, make an effort and explore different media. Clay, paints, colors, cloth, all and produce them that which is beautiful. A well-stocked bank account is of some value. But guess what gets passed on generation after generation? That family heirloom. Something grandpa made or grandma made. That favorite recipe. That's what gets passed on. So be a source of inspiration for the generations to come. And maybe, maybe you will find that Mrs. Ware's recipe for homemade oatmeal bread being still baked in heaven. Right? Maybe, maybe you'll find that. So as you take up this approach, well, sorry, pursue and practice living beautifully, and you will likely draw the interest of others. They'll gaze upon your work, even as they're uh, smelling that homemade bread or whatever it is you're doing, and they'll gaze upon it and they'll ask questions, and then be prepared to give them an answer of why you do this. You've looked into the face of the grand artist, and you're only following in his footprints. As you do this, know that you are bringing forth the new heavens and the new earth where wickedness, falsehood, and ugliness once reigned, you are replacing it. And may God be glorified. Comments, questions? <laughs>